Coming up, it's a new thriller for middle schoolers. Dynamic, representative, and fun. I'm talking about the unexplainable disappearance of Mars Patel. This is Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. Today we have a delight for the whole family, assuming you listen to this show in the traditional way, gathered in your family room with the kids alongside, racing to turn down the volume when someone utters a swear word. Don't worry, they heard it. I had the privilege of hearing The Unexplainable Disappearance of Mars Patel, a show that has been favorably compared to Stranger Things, but I'd say there's a little bit of Harry Potter and series of unfortunate events in there too. It's for kids, but there's plenty about it for adults to love, especially if you're a fan of YA literature. I don't want to say too much beyond that, so I won't. After the feature, I'll talk to one of the show's creators, Chris Terry, who lives in a magical town just outside New York. And now let's just get straight to the feature, episode one of Mars Patel. Code Red. Enjoy. Hey, kids. Yeah, you. Podcast listeners. Oliver Pruitt here. Maybe you're listening in the backseat of your parents' car. Or on your phone. Sorry to interrupt, but I can do that since I'm the sponsor. That means I pay the bills. So if your mom or dad is listening, tell them not to pay attention. I created this podcast for you, the kid who believes anything is possible, like 11-year-old Mars Patel. Take a listen as I drop you into the hallway of H.G. Wells Middle School and into the middle of a mystery. Mars and his pals Jonas and Caddy haven't heard from their friend Aurora in... How long has it been, Mars? Five days. Five days what? You know what he's talking about, Jonas. Oh, great. He's on the Aurora thing again. It's not the Aurora thing. She's gone. A person is made of matter. A person has mass. She's not gone. She's not not gone. Five days since Aurora disappeared. She isn't responding to texts or calls. She hasn't posted anything on Instagram all week. There's no one at her house. Just because someone forgets to say goodbye doesn't mean she's missing. I mean, wouldn't her parents be freaking out? We don't even know where they are. Caddy, you feel me on this, right? I always feel you, Mars, whether I like it or not. And you're sure you didn't have one of your weird vibes from her in the locker room? No, Aurora was like she always is, in her own world. Drawing in that sketchbook when you're supposed to be getting changed. But she said she'd be right out, and then she wasn't. It still doesn't make any sense. Where did she go? I'm probably going to regret saying this. Attention, students and faculty. This is a code red. Please keep calm and proceed with lockdown protocols. Is this a real one? Nah, it's probably a drill. In here. You want to hide in the janitor's closet? You'd rather pack into the science lab without the sixth grade? No way. Last time someone knocked off my glasses and I was blind for a week. Out of the halls, everyone into the nearest room, stay quiet, keep away from the doors and windows. Wow, it's really dark in here, huh? Ow! Oh, I think something's really happening out there. The energy in the school totally changed. You're having one of your headaches? Like when you can tell something's going on? 
I don't know. It's not that bad. Yet. Sometimes a headache is just a headache. Could it be because that stupid alarm won't stop going off in our ears? In a few minutes... Uh-oh. Uh-oh what, Jonas? I gotta go. Now... You can't. You know my deal. The bowels are irritable, man, and I forgot to take my meds. It's a code red. Yeah, well, I'm about to have a code brown in my pants. The bathroom's like a 10-second run. What if someone's in the hall? Then I'll juke them out, just like clearing the level on Assassin's Quest. Except this is not a game. Everything's a game, Mars. Everything's a game. Jonas, you need to listen to me. My head is... Believe me, you'll be glad I did. Come on, man. See you guys on the other side. He'll be okay. I mean, we could still... No, we hang here. We wait till it's over. It's okay to admit that you're scared. You know I hate it when you read my thoughts. I can't read your thoughts, I just feel things. Yeah, well it makes me feel weird. Like you're all up inside my head. Sorry, I just can't help it sometimes. It's always been this way. Since we were little kids, I felt this connection to you. So, I was thinking, the dance is coming up and I know you're going to ask Aurora. Not that you told me that and not that I felt it. I just guessed, but what if... We should probably be quiet, you know, in case someone's out there. Right. I'm sure Aurora's fine, Mars. You'll hear from her soon. Attention, students and faculty. The lockdown has ended. So that's it? We're safe? Yeah, another false alarm. Guess Jonas was right. Sometimes a headache is just a headache. I'm gonna go find him. Okay. See you guys at detention? I'll save you, you huge. We'll see. Mars? I'm glad we were together. Yeah. Jonas, code red's over, dude. Jonas? You in here? Yeah. So that was the last time any of us saw Jonas. It's me, Mars, again. I have no idea if you're getting these recordings I'm putting up in the cloud. My texts are bouncing back. Emails, too. People keep telling me I worry too much. I don't know. If you are in some kind of trouble, I just... I want you to know I'm looking, okay? I'm going to find you, and Jonas, too. So anyway, until I do, I'll just keep recording. Welcome, detention dwellers. For those law-abiding citizens making their first appearance here, I am Mr. Q. And yes, I am at least as cool as you've heard. However, I do expect you to use this time productively. I know you've got standardized gift tests coming up. I don't need to tell you how important they are. If you have any pertinent questions about how things work in here, feel free to ask the experts. Mars Patel, insubordination. Do you know how unfair it is that we're expected to be in school by... Caddy Platchett, let me guess. Defending Mars? He actually had a point this time. He usually has a point. Randall Toothpick Reed, 
What'd you do this time, Pick? The security on the library computers is so basic. How can you call it security when all you have to do is decode the password and send it to... I've said too much. Mr. Q, might begin taking attendance. Oh, you, Toothpick. One. Who are we missing? James Devlin. Two. J.P. McGowan. 43rd straight day of detention. A new record. Thank you very much. Unnecessary roughness, J.P.? No. It was totally necessary. Ask Jaden Walsh if he'll ever throw jello at Toothpick again. Grab a seat with your friends, JP. Hey, JP. Hi, Caddy. Hey, Mars. You hear anything from Jonas, JP? He's probably one of his gaming comas. He goes MIA when he's locked in. He went into the bathroom during Code Red and never came out. It happens. It's happened twice now. And like Mars said, nobody besides us seems to be asking questions. Are we talking about Jonas? I was wondering why he uh, wasn't with us today. We don't know where he is. He wasn't excused from detention. Yeah, nobody said anything to me. Is this another Aurora situation? Be careful, Mr. Q. He doesn't like it when you call it a situation. I think we should just call it what it is. They're missing. Why do you think that is, Mars? I don't know. Aliens, CIA assassinations. Ooh, maybe one of those time-space wormholes. JP, you don't think it's weird that they've both disappeared? I think we've all got problems. And I think Mars is trying to pull us into another one of his conspiracy theories. It's not a theory. Two of our friends dropped off the face of the Earth. Fourteen students on the list. Twelve students present, two students absent. Jonas Hopkins and Aurora Gershowitz. Thank you, Mr. Reed. Look, maybe they'll both show up tomorrow and explain that they got some weird virus that paralyzes your texting fingers. Or their parents moved them to a country with no Wi-Fi. Whatever it is, nobody seems to care or even notice when it's kids like us. What do you mean, kids like you? Outcasts, misfits, freaks. Okay, Toothpick, I think he gets it. Losers, oddballs, weirdos. Mr. Q, you're looking at me like I'm insane. Actually, Mars, your teachers might not appreciate the way your brain fires, but I do. So if you're convinced something's going on, and if Caddy feels it too, then who am I to tell you different? Ugh, Mr. Q, don't tell me you're on his side. I didn't say that, but I already know I can't stop Mars Patel once he's made up his mind. You're learning. That's good. Good? I'm having a hard time seeing how any of this is good. Come on, JP. Help us look. Not this time, Mars. Tell the alien CIA assassins I say hi. At Pruitt Prep, we understand the extraordinary kid. We're looking for students who think differently, who dream big. If you think you have what it takes to join us, visit our website at pruittprep.com and take the test. To the stars. Hope you don't mind hearing me make myself dinner, Aurora. Galaxy clusters, again. I know, I know. But cereal is all we have in the house, and I've got a lot to figure out. Thanks for joining us. From our electric cars to our phones to the way we power our homes, there's not a family in America that doesn't use something that came from the mind of Oliver Pruitt. You always make fun of me for having Oliver Pruitt's picture in my locker, Aurora. But the guy is a rock star. You know, I've invented hundreds of things. I've designed vehicles for private space flight and created tech for self-sustaining plants that can grow in any environment. But really, I believe my true calling is education. To the stars, I like to say. School I created, Mars? Pruitt Prep. Is... Mom, what are you doing home? I'm not really here. Just need to change my shoes. 
I'm due at the restaurant in 15 minutes. Galaxy clusters again? Really? Didn't I leave no, you some of that? you didn't. Well, I will tomorrow. I'll get up early and cook, I promise. Mars, are you recording us? No, I just... I was sending something to Aurora. Hello, Aurora. How are you, sweetheart? Gone. What? Ma, can I talk to you about something? Sure. Just let me find my... Sorry, keep going. Okay, it's just... We were talking to Mr. Q in detention today and detention? I... Detention? Again? Yeah, but I didn't do anything this time. Mrs. Wellington got all mad because I told her the Earth is dying and it's all her generation's fault. You need to listen to your teacher's manu. No, I hate it when you call me that. That Mr. Q makes it too fun for you kids. Detention is supposed to be horrible. You know who doesn't go to detention? Kids who make it to Pruitt Mom, Beth. I'm trying to talk to you about Jonas. I love that you have friends. I know it's been hard for you at times. But if Jonas and Caddy and the others keep landing you in detention... Mom, I'm trying to explain. You're special, Mars. You're so special. I've always known it. You are the reason I work two jobs. So you can go to a good school and grow up to be important. Special. Okay, baby. I love you. Mwah. Do your homework and go to bed at a decent hour. We'll talk in the morning. Yeah, sure. Good night, Aurora. I'm going to find you. Mars, out. Bet you don't miss the cafeteria, Aurora. At least when you and Jonas were here, we filled the whole table. Now it just feels empty. Hey, Mars. Hey, Aurora. Miss you. The menu said tater tots was a side. They have french fries. I didn't get upset, though. Not too much. Jonas liked fries. Yeah, yeah, he did. Does... You guys hear anything? Are you just going to keep recording us for the rest of our lives? I'm trying to keep a record. Of what? The day we all finally dropped dead from the healthy lunch. Hey, JP. You're cool with this, Caddy? It's a lot, but I think sending recordings to Aurora helps him process his feelings. Even though his girlfriend never responds? She, she wasn't, wasn't my girlfriend. girlfriend. Uh-huh. I'm just wondering if you'd be keeping a record if someone other than Aurora disappeared. Would you be this upset if it was, I don't know... Me? Of course we would, JP. We'd miss you just as much. I didn't say me. Sorry, kind of obvious, but we're a team, right? Mars, I've been thinking about Aurora and Jonas and patterns. You're good at solving mysteries. Excuse me! I said, excuse me, are you guys the freak table or the hearing impaired table? Can we help you with something, Epica? These two empty chairs? I'm taking them. <laughs> Sorry, we need these chairs. Like, why? There's six people at this table. Are the other two people, like... Real people? Okay, time for you to go. Spoiler alert, nobody's coming to sit with you, losers. Leave now. Hey, don't touch me. Help, it's attacking me. Call her that. Help, get off the house. Help, help, get away from me. What are you doing? Cafeteria, Aurora. Two more weeks of detention.
But hey, they didn't take away your chair. Jonas's mom! That's Jonas's mom going into his locker! Mrs. Hopkins! Mars! Yeah, hi, uh, where's Jonas? Uh, Jonas? Yeah, Jonas, your son? Where is he? Jonas is... he's great. Wonderful. Um, okay, but, but where? Mars, I... I just came here to pick up his medication, you know, for his stomach. We're about to go away on a family trip. I wasn't planning on seeing anyone. I don't understand. During the Code Red, Jonas just disappeared. Oh, Mars, you look so worried. You don't have to be worried. This is a great thing, like a dream come true. A dream? Whose dream? All of us. Let's be honest. Jonas's record in school was less than stellar. He spent all of his time playing those silly games and... He didn't think they were silly. Right. Well, I'd all but given up on him, and then... And then what? Mrs. Hopkins, what are you talking about? Are you okay? I'm wonderful, Mars. It was lovely to see you. I'll be sure and tell Jonas you said hello. I don't understand. Why aren't you telling me where he is? You'll understand eventually. Oh, and Mars, I know you've had your own struggles. Maybe one day this will happen for you, too. What will happen? I don't... Mrs. Hopkins! Did you hear all that, Aurora? What the heck just happened? Today's podcast is brought to you by Pruitt Industries and Pruitt Prep. Pruitt takes you to the stars. Oliver Pruitt again. Look out your window. See the blue sky, the clouds, the moon, the planets. It's all going to be yours one day. I built my school, Pruitt Prep, for kids just like you. We put it on an island so we can make it special. Does that sound fun? Or <laughs> maybe a little scary. <laughs> the students at Pruitt Prep are the brightest, most original thinkers in the world. Do you think maybe that's you? Here's a question. I am weightless, but you can see me. Hmm. Put me in a bucket and I'll make it lighter. What am I? Think you know the answer? At Pruitt Prep, we like to say... To the stars. And I believe it. I live it. Every day. And I know you do too. So plug back in, think of the answer, and I'll be back with you again sooner than you think. Hey, Aurora. Seven days now since he disappeared. Two since Jonas went missing. Feels like a year. How weird was his mom? She took everything from his locker. It's like he was never there at all. Of course, we know where Jonas really lived. So that's where we're headed to get answers. Hope it's not too loud for you. Sorry I'm late. Mr. Q stopped me up for school to ask about Jonas. Why does it always smell like roasted armpit in here? All arcades smell like stinky boys. Because they're filled with stinky boys. Attention, paintball soldiers. Two hot dogs for the price of one. Five minutes only. Anyone else think it's twisted to have paintball and video games under one roof? It's basically murder training camp. Jonas loved it here. 
He also loved gummy bears on his pizza. It's strange to see Jonas's picture up there on the wall. Only five people in the country have ever scored higher than 10,000 on breaking and entering. He's in quite a steep company. Now entering the paintball auditorium for the Doom guy. of Doom, Garth Richardson's fifth birthday party. Let those paintballs fly. Hey, Bodie. Mars Patel. So glad you're here, man. You seen Jonas? Some dude is closing in on his high score on breaking and entering. I love that game. I like to be the cops. Jonas was always the bad guy. Yeah, he was hardcore. When he wasn't having a tummy ache. We need your help, Bodie. Jonas disappeared from school two days ago. Disappeared? Like, poof? We were wondering if we could check his locker. It's against palace rags, but as assistant manager, I do have a master key. Come on, guys. Hey, Chris, cover for me, will ya? Tell us again what Jonas's mom said. It wasn't so much what she said as what she didn't say. Like, pretty much anything. And she was acting weird? For a human. All right, you know, can we just check out this locker and get out of here? Whoops. Did that thing get unlocked? Don't know how that happened. Open at your own risk, dudes. This could go very wrong. I once saw Jonas stuff half a meatball parm sub in there. All right, will someone just open the dang thing already? On three. One. Two. Empty. Just like his school locker. It's gone. All of it. What do we do now? Mars has another plan, right? Mars always has a plan. Do you, genius? We're breaking into Jonas's house. Breaking and entering? Are we the cops or the criminals? Because you know the criminals get shot most of the time. You know having a plan is not the same as having a good plan. He's not going to let us say no. We're going to find Aurora and Jonas. Even if we get shot in the process. Want to draw in your sketchbook, Aurora? Me and the rest of your friends hiding in the bushes outside Jonas's house. You would have loved this mission. Another game. Only we're breaking into his place. I know it was my idea, but to be honest, I'm not even sure what we're looking for. Shh! Can you can the narration for once so we can just do this? Jonas's room is in the basement. I've snuck him in and out a million times. This way. Since when does Jonas have a dog? He was allergic to every animal on Earth. Dogs made his throat close up. Maybe his parents knew he wouldn't be living here anymore. They didn't waste any time. Woof. Shh. You said they were going away. They left their new doggy home alone. I can handle chompers. She's going to use her powers. Shh. How long before are we going after her? Give it a minute. Guys, come on through. I've got the puppy. Man, she is good. You finally noticed? That's the vicious animal. It looks like a beanie boo. Okay, like we planned, Toothpick. You stand guard. The rest of us into the basement. And you're sure you remember the alarm code? Unless they've changed it. The last number is a seven. How do you know? I remember the code. I thought it was an eight. It's a seven. I really think it's an eight. You guys gonna stand here all night and discuss this? Seven. Okay, you're the numbers guy. We'll go with seven. Is it off? I think so. One thousand points on breaking and entering. 
light would be nice. I thought you said he lived here. He does. He did. It used to be tricked out. It's totally empty, just like the lockers. Not even a bed or a lamp or a poster on the wall. Everything's gone. Including Jonas. Can we go? I think I've had enough creepy for one night. That sounds like a pretty good idea. Not until we find something. Like what? Anything. Jonas said it himself before the code read. People don't just disappear, right? Can we at least look upstairs? Oh, man! What was that? Expensive! No, what is that sound outside? Oh, ow! Is it your head? Is it hurting again? Maybe it's just... Oh, ow! Is it that bad? Okay, I usually don't believe in the whole caddy's magic head thing, but why take chances? You guys can't hear that? Sirens. Police sirens? I thought you guys said the alarm was off. It's probably not for us. Probably? Did you guys just get a text message? Yeah, did you? I just got a text. It's from Jonas. Is it me or are those sirens getting louder? I don't understand the text. Ab masters? What does that mean? You're hearing how close it is, right? Toothpick, was the alarm definitely disabled? Maybe the last number on the alarm code wasn't eight. What do we do? Run! You're still here. Do you like the theme music? I wrote it myself. Remember when I asked you, I am weightless, but you can see me? Put me in a bucket and I'll make it lighter? Well, go to pruitprep.com and give me your answer. If you get it right, I'll send you something you can't get anywhere else. Remember, if you like my podcast, go to iTunes and subscribe. You can even let me know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a comment. Because even if I owned Apple, (laughs) and I almost bought it twice, everyone needs to be liked. Even mysterious billionaires like me. Mysterious! What will happen to Mars and the gang? If you're curious, and I expect you would be, head on over to MarsPatel.com to find out more and subscribe. Chris Terry is an award-winning jazz bassist, author, and one of the grown-ups on the production team behind Mars Patel. I reached him at his home in New Jersey for a chat. Chris Terry, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. 
I wanted to start by asking you, what was your childhood like? What kind of kid were you? <laughs> I was, uh, I was, I guess you're a pretty normal kid. I was um, always really interested in music and um, uh, always really interested in kind of telling stories too. So from a really young age, I was, I was a musician and also a storyteller. So I guess the unique thing about me is that I'm a professional musician, but also a published writer. So um, I sort of try to do both things at, a, at as high a level as I possibly can. So that's, um, you know, that's sort of where I come from. And I've always sort of been that way since I was, since I was a kid, you know. Right, because you've got an MFA in creative writing and you have um, a bachelor's in music performance from Berkeley. Yes. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 Do you, and you do you teach at the new school in New York? Is that uh, I do? Yeah. Every once in a, okay. you know on and off when there's a bass student that they have that uh, that wants to have me as their instructor, then I then I I, I I you know on and off there and also lots of stuff. I teach a lot of sort of privately too. People come kind of from all over just to sort of you know spend a week or two here and there, just sort of studying privately, private privately with me, bass bass guitar, or sometimes actually lately there's been a few composition students too. You know, music composition. Cool. When you were a kid, before you went on to study bass and teach it and study writing in a more formal kind of way, did you were you a trouble kid at all? Did you ever spend any time in detention? <laughs> well, you know, you see, David, I'm Canadian, so that's the uh, we're, we never get in trouble. We're always too nice. They still make hard scrabble kids in Calgary. <laughs> I was pretty. Um, I was a pretty quiet kid. Um, we lived in the States for a time, too, so I had sort of that. Uh, we moved. My dad went to Ohio State University, um, and we moved back to Canada after about a four- or five-year-long uh, stint away. And so I sort of had, um, a, you know, a view of both countries in a way growing up. And you come from a musical family as well, right? Yeah, my dad is a saxophone player. My mom's a piano player. That's not what they did for a living, but that's what they did uh, in their spare times, for sure. And your father uh, had a dental practice, is that correct? Yes, he's a he's a he's an orthodontist, and so he literally had a band called the Holy Molars. That's fabulous. Dentists and my mother, yeah, yeah, it was, it's makes for good makes for good copy. That's for sure. <laughs> my, I have a record of my dad actually playing um, in a high school band uh, when he was a kid. He was in a, an award winning high school sort of big band, and I have a I have him taking a solo on a record from years and years ago, like when he was uh, probably like sixteen. Okay, that's amazing. Um, yeah. What can you tell me about the origins of this project? So the origins are pretty, uh, pretty simple, really. I um, was meeting with a, one of the other writers, uh, co-creators named uh, Benjamin Strauss, and him and I were in a, in a writing group together, uh, or in putting together a writing group, as a matter of fact. And he spoke about this idea of wanting to do a sort of traditional sort of radio show for kids. Yeah, a radio network, actually, I think is what he wanted at the beginning. Now, it wasn't really the talk of a podcast, but um, uh, me being a podcast junkie sort of said to him, well, why don't we do it as a podcast? And it sort of was born from there. We started talking about it. And uh, and then we brought in, we met with David Kreisman, who's the um, one of the other of the four. Um, and he is an Emmy Award winning showrunner for TV and soaps and stuff like that. So, um, you know, my minor in college was screenwriting. Um, so we... Um, we, we started that way and we brought in, uh, this other person, uh, Jenny Turner Hall, uh, who's also a writer and screenwriter. And we started just brainstorming ideas for shows and we sort of knew it was going to be a podcast from the beginning. And 
um, spent about three months in uh, in everyone's basement, just sort of going, just sort of going around and uh, and and trying to trying to come up with the idea for the show. So it was very much, very much organic. Do all of you live in Maplewood, New Jersey? We do. We all live within like seriously a three minute walk from each other. Can you tell me about this magical town? It is kind of magical, and it's magical in a way too. There are so many podcasting people here, like uh, <laughs> both hosts for Reply All live here uh the host for serial lives here um you know um my neighbor is david kestenbaum who's also on the show uh, who does some you know he's the one of the hosts of planet money um i mean it, the list goes on and on it's this amazing little town that's about 25 minutes outside of new york city so it's within striking distance you're on the train for 25 minutes you know i can get in for gigs i can get in for studio sessions everybody out here is on broadway or is uh, you know it's the place that you come when you have two kids and you're making a living in the arts. You know, it's, sure. it's a really interesting little town. It's no more than four square miles. A little tiny town looks like a little European village. Mm-hmm. And it's literally everybody is in, is in the entertainment industry in some way. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really, really a cool place. It's interesting in a way that everybody out here is sort of at a later stage in their life. And they are, you know, everybody's working doing what they, they, what they do and what they're great at. So the, the level out here is just a, is really quite high. You know, everybody who's doing it is doing it for a living. So it's, it's, it's interesting that way. Um, and then, you know, after the show, the, that was the genesis of the show. And after the show got popular, um, um, David, uh, David uh, Ben and myself just recently um, started a, a, a production company that's focusing on um, podcast, scripted podcasts for kids. And we've got, a number of shows in development for various networks um, that are ready to come out. Uh, they're going to come out this year. Oh, cool. Yeah, I want to ask you about the ghost of Jessica Majors. And... Je- Jessica Majors is our first one out of the block after, after Mars Patel. So. And th- that production company is called Blobfish? No, it's actually called, that was a name we sort of gave to the, uh, the, our original sort of doing business as name. The new production company is called Gen Z Media. Uh, and it's just, been, it's just Ben, Dave, and I. Uh, Jenny's just uh, helping us out on Mars Patel, and we're we're doing the other shows. Uh, you know, ramping up, operating very much like a TV production company. You know, is kind of the way we're looking at it. And we just got office space, nice. and everything is kind of crazy. We're it's like a real thing. <laughs> yeah, oh, congratulations! Um, we've been hearing a lot from Georgia Representative John Lewis lately, right? In the context of his history of civil disobedience, he likes to talk about getting into what he calls good trouble. Would you say that spirit of civil disobedience is at play in Mars Patel? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things we really wanted to do with Mars Patel is to do a show where kids who are listening, who are fans, um, that they're forced to listen up. And by that, I mean above their age a little bit. In a lot of the same way that YA novels work, um, you know, it's why a lot of uh, adults read YA and, you know, one of the things as being a, as being a writer, um, you know, one of the sort of little secrets is that kids who read YA, if you're a 14 year old, you're not going to read a book for a 12 year old. You know, if you are 16, you're not going to read a book for a 14 year old. All the kids, even when they're seven and eight, they like to read up. So in that, in that vein, we like to think that we do a show that is forcing them to listen up. Um, and we do it in a way that is maybe a little scary maybe a little above where they are, um, and really, truly try and get together and make a, a, a podcast that is literally a TV show in podcast form, uh, right from the production values to the, 
story to the uh to the the arc of the season um you know we really think about it we treat the entire show uh, as a writer's room like it's a tv's writer tv writer's room you know something i've been thinking about a lot lately is that i feel like all stories even if they don't think about themselves this way contain some kernel of moral instruction um and so i've been thinking a lot about like how how untrustworthy like school administrators and policemen uh, and even cool teachers are in the world of Mars Patel. And it seems like this is a really important time to be teaching kids to doubt. I was just wondering if you had anything further to expand on with that. Yeah, I mean, I think think it goes back to that whole, I don't know if I'm making this word up, but you know, Spielbergian sort of uh, way of thinking about story when it involves kids, you know, every kid wants to feel like they are calling the shots. Um, and one of the, one of the things we do in Mars Patel is really put the kids front and center and yeah, make the adults sort of these untrustworthy, you know, who do we believe kind of thing. Um, and that, you know, that's proven to be, uh, proven to be part of the big success of the show is the kids really feel empowered, you know? Um, yeah, because the adults and, and, are all yeah. worse than useless. <laughs> exactly. And then, in the, you know, it's kind of the Charlie Brown wah, wah, wah scenario. You know what I mean? Uh, where, you know, that was that was very apparent in Charlie Brown. None of the none of the parents had an actual voice, which I which is brilliant. You know, um, here, of course, they're all playing parts and they had and they play important parts in the story. And they're not, you know, they're not talk boxes. That's for sure. Um, but they do represent the sort of gateway the authority gateway for the kids um and to watch the kids skirt around that is kind of i think one of the things that the listeners especially our young listeners uh, get a lot out of what influenced the decision to make a tech billionaire an arrogant bullying tech billionaire the uh antagonist of this story well it was sort of um we're trying to also at the same time sort of update the classic radio play audio drama format in a way that's um, trying to be as different as we can in terms of like, you know, on last week's show, this is what you missed. You know what I mean? That kind of idea. We, we really spent a lot of time sort of going through and like figuring out how we could make the classic narrative narrator experience different. And the thought came up with like, what we came up with was what if we have this guy who is the narrator of the show, who, as you listen through the season, becomes more and more a part of the show and is putting this podcast out as a way to reach real life kids in a way that the kids will not really sort of be able to discern whether he's real or not. Are the, are the audience interactions, are those voicemails from kids? Are those like really, because I was pretty sure that those were real submissions, but I'm not. No, they are. They are, they are all real submissions except for the first two, because when we did first did it, we hadn't actually put the phone number up yet. And then as soon as we put the, the way to sort of contact Oliver Pruitt, they all came flooding in. It's been amazing to hear all the kids. Uh, send stuff in. That's fabulous. And we're still, even with the show in in between seasons, we're still getting three or four a week. I mean, it's crazy. I wanted to to tease out from you what it is about messianic tech billionaires that you find to be so dangerous. Well, I think that that's like an easy, you know, one of the things in doing a show for kids is that you want to make it, like I said, you want to force them to listen up, but also you need to create a character that they're going to understand. So that is their world. You know what I mean? They, they know, they understand a Steve Jobs. They understand, they understand a Elon Musk, you know? Uh, and so that is one of the reasons we chose that sort of, that sort of narrative. 
Um, and, and he just seemed to be the most relatable for kids to sort of get, you know, and he runs this fine line between, especially in the, in the feedback we get, we, there's a lot of calls that we didn't put on that are kids that like love Oliver Pruitt, you know, and you'll see in season two, he goes through quite a, quite a significant, um, you know, arc in season two, um, with a lot of great sort of reveals and, and, and he ultimately, ultimately he's. He is, yes, uh, dark and brooding and has these sort of ulterior motives, obviously. But ultimately, in the end, he thinks he's doing a great thing and he's and he's doing a good thing for kids, you know. Um, so we try and make him this sort of we really try and ride the line between like, is he or isn't he a bad guy? What is he after? What's he really what, what does he really want? Um, what's really going on here? Um, you know, with hopefully even at the end of the first season, we left still a lot of those questions kind of unanswered. So, Chris, you are an award-winning bassist. You've you've won three Junos for jazz performance with your band Metalwood, uh, and one for album package design. Uh, and I was looking through that, and that sounds awesome. Thanks. That looks really thanks, cool. Thanks. Um, I, I'm curious because I've never interviewed a bassist, um, but I, I love Charles Megas. Um. How do you envision the role of a bassist in an ensemble? Oftentimes you'll find that the bassists are the musical directors or the people that are sort of behind the scenes making sure everything is is running as it should because it's a support it's a support instrument. So the people that tend to be gravitated gravitate towards the bass are people that are in a support role kind of behind the scenes a little quieter maybe. Um I'm not necessarily the quietest guy, but I'm definitely an organizer and I definitely put together projects and get myself in, involved in things behind the scenes much more than uh maybe your average musician i'm not not sure uh, does the way you play music factor into the way you write or the way that you are a part of the production for mars patel the music for mars patel is written very specifically for the show um and so yeah in a way it comes from you know i think the fact that the music is instrumental and we don't use you know it's very much scored like a tv show um, is definitely coming from the, my my land of comfort. Uh, you know, I'm a jazz jazz musician and have written, produced a lot of jazz records, instrumental albums, that kind of thing. So I think I think that lends itself well to film scoring and all that sort of stuff. I should say I do the music uh, myself. I do a lot of the themes and a, and a couple of the cues, and a lot of the other stuff is you know, collaborations uh, or stuff um, in conjunction with a friend of mine and I who have worked together for years and years. Uh, We've probably done a hundred records together. Um, yeah, a guy named Sean Pierce, who's a really big film and TV uh, composer in LA, and he's very heavily involved um, with me in terms of. Uh, I mean, as you can imagine, doing a complete show where it's completely scored and all the music is written originally for every episode. Um, uh, you can imagine that takes a lot of time. So, <laughs> uh, you know, the amount of work that goes into Mars Patel is probably, we figured, about 60 or 70 hours per 15 minutes of, of screen time, you know. Uh, so, so yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. And as the show has gotten more popular and as the team has expanded, um, we're hoping to get that number down, you know, in terms of uh, setting up to be able to do the show quicker. I'm thinking of um, JP picking a fight with, or not picking a fight with, but responding to Epica uh, in in the cafeteria. And as the as the conflict reaches a climax, the music kind of overtakes the scene itself. Mm -hmm. How how do you think about how do you think about scoring 
generally and how do you think about scoring conflict uh so a lot of times it's just getting the vibe of the of the actual scene and just sort of seeing what works some of the stuff in the episodes are are stuff that Sean and I have reworked in that are that are things that he has composed for actual TV that weren't used and that we re that we recompose and re sort of fit um into different scenes um in a in a sense sort of drawing from a library of stuff that him and I have uh kind of developed over the years and especially himself so um you know that is oftentimes just looking through and saying okay we need something that's like fight sort of sound you know something something aggressive and sort of rejiggering either old material or writing stuff that that you know if if ultimately we can't make something fit then we when we write we write to the actual uh score or to the actual tracks in inside of pro tools you know just sort of writing it um as we go um but it's just a matter of knowing how to evoke a feeling really um that kind of thing and, and and you know um which makes it really good uh, it's a good partnership because i'm really good with the themes and all that sort of stuff and coming up with sort of the themes of the show the end you know opening and endings and the and the transitions and he's really great at at dialing in dialing in stuff i mean i think some of the stuff we used on the on the on the uh show was actually left uh stuff that wasn't used on that hbo show the bridge because he was the composer on that how did you fall into dramatic sound design from music? <laughs> that was, this is the first time I've ever done technically real sound design. So it's been a learning process really for me. Uh, you know, it was a matter of like, who's going to do the sound design and me saying, well, I can do that. You know, so as you notice, probably, I don't know, it's pretty subtle, but the sound design gets better from the beginning of the season throughout to the end. <laughs> um, before, you know, in the beginning, I'm like, oh, we need footsteps. Oh, here's footsteps. This will work, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, it was a, it was a trial by fire. And then eventually as we got into the season and the show got more popular, I was able to bring on an, uh, a, a, um, an editor to work, to work um, alongside me in terms of uh, a lot of the time of the show is like editing the kids together to make it so that their pacing is correct and that they, um, right. you know, that's what takes a lot of time. And then also what I would have him do is lay in sort of rough sound design. So we had, uh, you know, places where the sound design would be sort of roughed in. And then when I was doing the final mix of the show and adding the music and all that sort of stuff, I could move things around and start adding the sort of sparkle sound design. So <clears throat> so once again, it's a matter of the team kind of growing. But in the very beginning, the first, you know, four or five episodes were just me. The way we wrote the show was first season was kind of interesting. We originally wrote it and produced the first um, three episodes um, to sort of see if we could sell the show um, without putting it out ourselves. So we did the first three episodes, which were actually recorded originally as two episodes. So the first two episodes, which were about half an hour long each. So the first episode is really what you hear, about a half-hour pilot. And then we broke the second episode into two episodes for, for the release. But originally it was, uh, it was a, uh, a, an entire episode. Episodes th th two and three were, were a single episode. And uh, we shopped it around and had a lot of interest. Talked to you know folks at Gimlet and Audible and all these sort of places. And in the end decided that the story, we were just so captivated with the story and the idea of of sort of doing the season that we decided like let's invest some money all of us and and let's produce the entire season so that we went back and finished writing the entire season and then went in the studio again with the kids uh finished the se finished recording it and then were able to start at that point sort of hiring some other team members to come on board and making the process uh 
all that much easier and, and sort of learning from our mistakes that we had made in the first two. And you've just joined Panoply now, so take that, Gimlet. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we've just joined just joined Panoply. We're really excited about it. They're they are using uh, you know they're making Mars Patel sort of their signature kids show, which is pretty exciting. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. I mean, it's, it's really it's cool. Enab- it, yeah, it's enabling us to do. They're being super supportive. Um, it's enable us, enabling us to grow, uh, enabling us to hire. Uh, you know, like I said, a bigger, even bigger team, uh, maybe even two editors. That's the thing that takes the time, you know, a director. So we're trying, we're trying to save time on the back end in terms of the production of the show. <clears throat> Whereas like hiring a director, um, hopefully will save us time in the editing room. That's kind of our sort of thought. You know what I mean? Like if we can get the kids, if we can get the kids down to tape a little closer to what it is that we need timing wise and pacing wise then the idea is it will no longer take us a week, two weeks to put together an episode. You know, we can maybe get that down to like three or four days. What are some of the struggles of working with child actors? Well, you know, they, uh, they require food, which is very, uh, <laughs> you know, and breaks and rests and stuff like that. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. They have been terrific. You know, we really, we worked with a casting agent uh, for both seasons. Uh, and it's been really terrific. So we, a lot of the, the the level of the kids we got was very high. That being said, that being said, one of the one of the hard parts about working with kids, especially the boy actors, is that a twelve year old boy sounds exactly like a twelve year old girl right up until the moment that he doesn't. So audio wise, in terms of just separating the voices and getting people to be able to tell the difference between the kids. Now there's still kids. There's still some of the kids in the show that that sound a little similar, but we really went through hundreds and hundreds of kids trying to find a a kid that can act and b a kid that has an original sounding voice i think uh, mars what's what's that actor's name jaya jaya chetram yeah yeah he has just this incredible kid texture totally totally and and he was the last kid we heard we heard hundreds of kids from mars and and amazingly enough he actually is you know uh you know uh the same nationality as as Mars Patel in the show it's a we always say that if if Mars Patel were a TV show he'd be the kid playing Mars Patel you know it's kind of kind of interesting that way um so that's one of the big challenges is um finding the the acting quality that's of 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 the high enough level but also them having an original sounding voice and being able to deliver deliver lines now season 2 uh there's a, there's a bunch of new cast members and uh they are in the storyline, a little bit older than the kids we had. And Mars Patel, obviously, is still part of it. And everybody, you know, I don't want to give too much away. But <clears throat> um, but it's really a big difference between a kid who's acting who's 11 and 12 versus a kid who's 14 and 15. Those, those couple years make a huge difference, just in terms of, like, the emotion they're able to convey, uh, what they're able to sort of get out of a scene, what they're sort of able to put into a line reading, that kind of thing. So. Um, yeah, that's, you know, and that's sort of the challenge. That's one of the reasons we're really happy to have Michelle on board and directing because it's, she brings that stuff out of the kids, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, one of the things early on we decided was that one of the uh, enduring things about the show is this idea that you're listening to kids. The kids are listening to kids who are their age acting. And as an adult, and as an adult, when you're listening to it, you're like, we get so many comments, oh, the kids are great. And I think what people are, even if they're like reading a scene and it's not quite the right emotion, 
there's just something endearing about the fact that, that they're just trying so hard. You know what I mean? That it, it was kind of interesting in a way. We had to cut a lot of the humor, especially with the adults, because it just didn't play as well. I mean, there's subtle humor, but we had out and out sort of like funny, you know, stuff. Um, we had to end up sort of cutting it a lot, especially with the adult actors, because the kids were just so trying so hard and being so earnest that when you got a adult coming in reading a line and sort of reading stuff as a bit of a throwaway line, so hey, here's a joke, you know, it just didn't play well. It was just sort of like, yeah, it was a really interesting sort of um, cross dynamic that we had happening. And so in, in, in a lot of cases, we had to re-record a lot of the adults to sort of match, to match the intensity of the kids. People really like to see themselves portrayed in fiction. I think that's really important. I think that that kids will connect to Mars Patel because he's a kid. And I think that Indian American, Indian diaspora kids will connect to this, you know, Asian American, the Asian Canadian protagonist being portrayed uh, in the podcast. I think that's really yeah, important. Absolutely. Yeah, we've had we've had a lot of kids, uh, kids sort of connect to that. We've had a Really interesting connections from kids uh, in terms of regards to the JP character who throughout the year, yeah, you're not really sure if she's a boy or a girl. And when you find out that she's a girl and she sounds like a boy, she's sort of the Peppermint Patty character. And in early drafts of the script, she was written as as a transgendered kid, which is a big, you know, we really wanted to be sort of on the cusp of what kids are dealing with today. That's why the show opens with a code red. You know, kids are dealing with this stuff every, every day, you know, and as an adult, you might listen to it and go, whoa, you know, transgendered kid or a, or a code red or whatever. And and no, that doesn't freak kids out. That's their reality, you know, and, and it's a great reality. And we just wanted to make it a sci-fi show that was as real as we possibly could. So in a way, yes, they have magic powers and all this stuff. But really what it is is, is the island sort of accentuating the facts that they already, you know, the talents they already had inside them, that kind of thing. Um, so it never gets to, even in season two, when we go various other places, um, there's always, you could always make an argument for, we always, we always try and make the argument for a scientific explanation. We try and keep it very, even though it's a science fiction show and, and, you know, very coming, coming out of the sort of mold of stranger things, um, that, uh, that we try and keep a scientific sort of, sort of reality to the show in a way that kids can sort of say, Hey, maybe this is real, you know? But you did have this in production, excuse me, before Stranger Things came out. We did, and it almost it almost sunk us. <laughs> we were just like, oh my gosh, four I'm sorry, we just were like four kids, the same age, the same like same number of boys, same number of girls, their friend goes missing. Oh my gosh, you know. But then you look back at it and it's not Stranger Things only. It's go it's Goonies, it's it's everything, you know, it's it's uh spy kids, it's you know, all these great sort of his history of, of shows where, you know, kids are going on an adventure to find a friend is, is a pretty, pretty wide, wide range of, uh, of stories. And, uh, and, and it was actually, it was actually really great for us in the end. I mean, the fact that people were comparing it to Stranger Things when Stranger Things was the biggest show on TV just brought us, brought us an insane amount of, insane amount of audience and listenership like right away. People were just, and because Stranger Things had gone off the air or had been finished its run, you know, or people had sort of, it had sort of bypassed by the time we launched and people were just dying for anything Stranger Things. So uh, whenever in a review we got compared to that, it just, uh, it was really a great sort of um, repercussion. 
we have a very large adult um, listenership, which we weren't expecting. Uh, and so I think for the aspects of Stranger Things that adults got out of it in terms of that sort of nostalgia, even though our, even though ours is not set in that era, um, I think that they I think they relate to that kind of nostalgia in a way. So, Chris, you taught jazz theory and other courses in Vancouver for a couple of years. You you studied at the University of British Columbia, and now you live in suburban New Jersey. What do you what do you miss about the Pacific Northwest? I think that I miss the sort of healthy feel of it. You know, there's definitely like, yeah, I always, I always, I always sort of chalk it up to like everybody wears bicycle helmets, even when they're just riding three blocks, you know, and here it's just, and here, you know, especially in New York city and, you know, and around it's, it's, it's like sort of, ah, what do I need it for? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to live forever. Uh, and I don't need to exercise. I don't need to do all this stuff. You know, what do you mean granola? We're, we don't eat granola. We eat pizza here, you know? Um, so I miss the sort of, I miss the sort of healthy uh, twig and berries sort of aspect of the of the of the Pacific Northwest a lot of times, and you know, sadly, I kind of also miss the miss the mistiness, you know, the sort of that sort of uh, eeriness about it, you know, like walking, you know, being being at UBC and walking through the rainforest and just going, wow, this is so unique. And I think that's one of the reasons we set the show there is there's this sort of eerie quality to it. Um, and it's kind of always a great way to, to create place to sort of set shows, you know, in the same way, in the same way that uh, with this other show we're developing right now, Jessica Majors is, is set in like, you know, um, in like in Maine, you know what I mean? The classic sort of Stephen King, quiet Maine, you know, spooky, spooky town kind of thing. There's like a spookiness in a way, you know, that, that, that sort of lends itself to these sort of mystery sort of shows. What can you tell me about your upcoming shows? What can you tell me about Ghost of Jessica Majors and The Voice of Reason? Basically, the show is a a, a girl, twelve year old girl from eighteen seventy six, who um, who get whose grave gets disturbed uh, by uh, some a real estate mogul who's building uh, a real estate development in this small town uh, in, in the Upper Northwest and uh, Northeast, sorry, and um, she uh, comes back and is basically a girl fish. It's the classic fish out of water story. She is a girl from 1870s, um, and is able to make friends with two, two kids, her same age in modern day. Um, and they work, they work to do the, yeah. So she takes corporal form eventually, uh, and, and, and works together to help, uh, you know, helps sort of thwart the 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 uh, real estate mogul, and at the same time uh, works on solving her own death. Where did the name Mars Patel come from? Where did you who who came up with that name? I think it was really literally a uh, a matter of going through just hundreds of names, and the four of us getting together and just sort of f- thinking that was sort of the the feel, you know. Um, <clears throat> we really spent a lot of times sort of looking at it and thinking, is it too close to Veronica Mars, that kind of thing. <clears throat> um, but ultimately decided it had a really nice ring to it. And we really liked the fact that he was a, an American Indian kid. Um, I don't mean American Indian, sorry, I guess, um, you know, uh, um, you know, that he was from India and uh and and indian american I, I know the when the, I say indian the american, nomenclature the nomenclature sounds, is weird in the u.s it sounds very bizarre when you say it yeah back when you, anyways um 
South Asian, maybe. Yeah, I think he's South, South Asian, you know. And so, and so that uh, that made it really unique because you know we were trying to make a very unique cast, again, sort of showing the diversity of the world in which kids live and the sort of the sort of missing social and color barriers that so many adults seem to deal with, you know, or seem to seem to put up, right? Mm-hmm. Is Toothpick meant to be on the spectrum? Yes, he is. Yep. We have a um one of the writers whose whose son is autistic, so we definitely uh were were, you know, looking to sort of play some of that too. I think it's really good and important that you're getting non-binary and non-neurotypical and non-white representation into the show. Kids need to people need to see themselves. I think it's very important. I agree. And and like I said, I mean that's their that's that's Kids are so open, you know, and so wonderfully just, uh, in a way, unaware of that stuff, even when they're aware of it, because they just don't care. It doesn't matter. To, it doesn't matter to them, you know. But to be able to see themselves in that, I think, in that way, it does matter. You know, oh, he's just like me, or she's just like me, or she's, she's, you know. Uh, or they're just like me. They're just, exactly. They're just like me. Exactly. We worked really hard on getting that. And we really loved the feedback we got on GP, JP from people. Yeah, what what were kids saying? What did they say to you about the character? We had people. We had people that were like, "Oh, at first I thought she was a boy, and then I found out she was a girl." And I have somebody in my school that's like that. And you know, thank you so much. And or I'm like that. I mean, it was just like everything you'd ever hope, you know. And one of the things we played out is we never really. I mean, there was a couple of pronoun shifts in the season where you're like, "Huh." Oh, she's a girl. Well, you know, oh, whatever. You know, we want to really play it like it doesn't matter. Um, so we really came, we really came, we took a lot of the direct references in the original, original scripts out f- from her being, you know, uh, really called out as transgendered. You know what I mean? But you'll notice if there's notice a few leftovers, like when she says, you know, when somebody calls her boy girl, um, or she's wearing a hoodie or all that, all that kind of stuff. So, we just let the story set the scene for for the kind of person that she is and that and she, you know and such a great character and i think we were so happy to hear that it played we were worried that we'd like taken out too much of it and now in season 2 there's no mention there's no pronoun at all we just actually made the decision we pulled every pronoun out when it came when it comes to uh to to uh, identifying jp does the actor that portrays JP have input into the character in that way, or are you letting the the conversations in the writers' room drive? The conversations in the writers' room drive. Yeah, the kids are a little young to sort of have any sort of in depth sort of feeling about you know, that stuff one way or the other. They they know things like oh, there's a you know a love triangle between Aurora and and or the you know what is the sort of the sort of mythical Aurora and Caddy and and Mars and that kind of stuff. You know. Um, and, you know, they know they know stuff on that level, but they're still a little young. You know, most of them are like 11, 12 uh, to sort of pick up on the sort of subtleties of that. It'd be interesting to actually talk to Kate, who plays JP, and see sort of where what she thinks about that stuff. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. It's such great questions. And I, I love when, uh, you know, you've listened to the show so closely. And, and I, you know, I also love the podcast. It's great. And it's it's an honor to have Mars Patel on it. And uh you know, you've done a lot of great shows. Thank you. You can find out more about Chris by following him on Twitter at Chris Terry. And you can find out more about us by following us on Twitter at Radio Drama. 
Hey, this about brings this episode of RDR to a close. Thanks for listening to our show. If you like what you hear, the best thing you can do for us is rate and review the show on iTunes and tell your friends. In the interest of keeping this show afloat, I'd very much appreciate if you'd take the Wondery survey at wondery.com survey. And I'm also happy to answer your questions. Tweet them at me, email them to us, or call the Wondery voicemail line at gagbag5711. That's 424-224-5711. Give a first name, who you're calling for, and your question. I look forward to your messages. And now, it's time for some credits. Our theme tune is Danger Did You Do by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Our line producers are Matthew Boudreaux and Eli McElveen. Matt doesn't get in trouble. Trouble gets in him. It's taken up residence there and it won't leave. Eli has maintained the highest score on every arcade cabinet at Dr. John's Arcade and Pharmacy in Scarborough since he was 16 years old. None have yet bested him. Our researchers are Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreaux. Heather once punched a bully so hard he turned inside out. I saw it. Monique gets these weird premonitions, and she's always right, but she refuses to tell me the outcomes of horse races. That's not what it's for, she says. Yep, fine. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhouse, who will revolutionize the world with his new suite of labor-saving devices. This latest one is called a podcast. Share it with someone you love. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome.